This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Coming to you uh, with Dr. David Adabimpi today. We're going to talk a little bit about odors and scent uh, work and uh, training aids and just uh, get some good information out there that is going to be uh, hopefully real valuable and maybe open up some eyes. A lot of the odor work uh, that Dr. Dave has done has been uh, um, has been well received in our community. And I just kind of want to talk a little bit about uh, some of what he's done and some of what maybe what he's got going on in the future. So without uh, further uh, waiting, Dr. David, how are you today? Good morning, Jeff. How you doing, buddy? And uh, maybe we get started by tell um, uh, everybody a, a little bit about yourself. I know uh, you have a you have a unique story and a your education, and I know you're well traveled and stuff. So maybe you can kind of fill everybody in about your background. Start. Mm, uh, well, um, a little bit about me. Um, of course, my name is David Adabimpe. Um, I'm, uh, I call myself broadly. I'm speaking a scientist um, because uh, I went to school um, for a broad range of courses, um, ranging from biochemistry to psychology to organic synthesis to material science and to nanotechnology, um, chemical engineering, somewhere in the middle, and analytical chemistry being uh, the basis of everything, and uh, um, also quantum physics, material science. So. Um, I never really knew how all these um, disciplines would actually come into play in my life. I probably, I just wanted to be an academic all my life. And those that know me know me to be someone who actually was kind of destined um, to be an academic. Um, I remember um, situations came about that made me, um, 911 happened and then, um, I was um, um, I was invited by the United States Marine Corps to help make a replica for the uh, canine scent kit, the MM01 kit, and then that's when I uh, moved down to the area and I started working on that. And so then at that time, had you, at that time, had you been around detector dogs much at all, or is, was that a Totally new field for you. Oh, um, proud to that. Uh, as you can see, I like I don't like really talking about my education a lot because uh, it, I'm well studied. Yes, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do. I, I think I'm just. Uh, but yeah, I I I, I had on. I, I was in an area called um, electronic noses. I was uh, work. There was a time where I was working on electronic noses, and. Um, no, actually, what I also working in in academia, but I also I also worked at NASA, um, working on electronic noses, and I was part of part of a team that fitted, uh, um, that developed a, a, a suite of electronic noses that they actually f- fixed within the shot within the shuttles. Uh, so I had the knowledge of electronic noses. So when I was asked to work on biological detection. Um, by the United States Marine Corps, by the Navy, um, I I was interested 
because I'd always been curious about how and we all talk about wanting electronic noses to mimic um, biological detectors. However, I wasn't versed at all within biological detectors. When I thought about biological detectors, I, I probably thought about the best, what I consider the best nose of all, which would be the insect nose because it's naked. You know, I never thought about the mammalian nose of being uh, some uh, the kind of nose I would look at, you know, however, um, um, because the contract um, required a canine scent kit, I decided to go for it and um, just take that as a second best, you know, and then uh, I started working on, um, on developing the M- MN71 kit. That was that started in 2002. It's funny how uh, how your life can change. One day you're a uh, academic working at a university, and the next thing you're hanging around a bunch of us dog guys teaching us stuff. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny, kind of funny how you know worlds intersect because you, you're. Um... So when you were doing the electronic noses, was was part of that? Were they comparing their results with an electronic nose with a uh, you know with the canine detection results, or were they was it something? That, I know at one point people thought that they were going to be able to put us out of business with the electronics and I, I never really worried much about that and I'm still not too I think I don't think you can put a dog out of business myself. Uh well it well we the the, the kind of we developed we, we know that you just can't make one particular sensor that would detect all vapors. So you make an array of sensors. You use different sensors with different properties and we were working on an array of forty sensors. 40 different sensors that have unique sensitivities to each, to a unique analyte, to an elite gas. So by the time you reduced those dimensionalities, I mean, you could see, and and then you put that in a 3D representation, you can actually have a unique, you, you could have a unique fingerprint for every human on this planet based on their breath signature. It could be that sensitive, you know. And um, I was also in in the realm of conducting polymers. Um, I had that unique privilege of having been the group leader of the guy that won the Nobel Prize in that area once upon a time. I was a group leader of a Nobel Prize winner, Alan McDermott. And... Um, so um, I had also that skill set that I could bring into the game. So I was developing new conducting polymers that we were putting on these sensors, and we had great success. Um, probably enough that I felt it's time to move on to something else um, because uh, actually we'd done our best at chemists. However, we didn't have enough chemometrics, which were enough statistics in play to help us um, with the principal component, knowing which components are principal, knowing which components are similar, which ones are different. Um, the reduction of dimensionality was a statistic, was a game for statistics, statisticians. So I guess one of the one of the things I like hearing about your background on this part of it is that you know obviously you and I have talked over the years, and uh, I'm a believer in, in in the product. I'm a believer in in uh, you know, I, I have no problem using uh, ScentLogix or Pseudo. You know, <laughs> yeah. So 
uh, and this isn't a this is not an infomercial for it, but I know that there's controversy about you know pseudo versus real. So I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit, and I, I like the idea that you can explain that that you didn't start by saying I want to develop a a product a training aid for dogs. You were on the science side of it, and this is very very scientific, looking at at signature odors, at vapor pressure of odors. Um, there's a lot. There was a whole lot of science that was done that is way above all of our, you know, my head, most of our handlers' heads, about how this works. Long before you ever got into, I'm going to make a a pseudo scent for a canine training kit. So when people that you know have the vitriolic reaction of I would never use pseudo, I don't think they understand that there is a whole bunch of very, very, very high-end, high-level science through NASA and through the military and through other places that backs up this product that is way beyond our comprehension and way beyond, you know, it's like having a Ferrari run a tricycle when you look at, you know, the simple odor that we want to mimic compared to some of the stuff that you've done in the past, long before you ever got to, is that a fair statement? Yep. That's 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 a fair statement. You know, um, first of all, I, I I never got into your world, into your community because I I I I I, I saw an opportunity to exploit or I saw an opportunity to do anything. I, I never knew about the, the the except that I had family in the military, I have families that are new, they do their own work and I do my own work. However, I was accosted by people within the Navy that knew about my eccentric capabilities and they 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 accosted me and they they challenged me to to make a replica of this kit that they needed so much within operational theaters and they're so law abiding they refuse to take it with them. You know, we fight our laws. We, we fight our wars using law books. And and there, there we were downrange and all our dogs were, were not hitting on the fines. They were so on the targets. Gore stories of mangled dogs and things blowing up because our dogs were not working the way they were supposed to be working downrange. And by Joe, we still could not get our training kit out there. So this was, you were solving a real world problem, probably in the middle of, in, in the middle of the, literally in the middle of in, battle. In, 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 in the middle, and basically that challenge was accosted by a guy called Carl Spence from the Navy. And I said, okay, I think I, I think I, I will give it a shot. And it was successfully done. And it was successfully deployed. And the Navy still uses our kids till today. So on the science behind that, uh, as we, you know, we talked about, there's you were working on other projects. So in, in very, very layman terms, can you just kind of explain, I mean, how did you go about that? Did you take did you take one of the say a bomb odor that you decided I'm gonna see what the dogs hit on, or what was the process to that you started working on? To, to get to the you know your first your first odor. Initially, we went by the general theory out there, the general theories of olfaction, and we'd analyze them to see whether we could see any of them that would give us a concept of how the nose works. 
because we felt the material aspect is easy anyway because most of the materials, especially, well, when it comes to narcotics detection, all the materials are not man-made. And when it comes to exp- um, and when it comes to explosive uh, explosive detection, all the materials are man-made. When it comes to narcotics detection, most materials are man-made. So we felt, you know, how could we? So that wasn't a problem. It's the nose that's this problem because let's look at when we look at the theories, the prevailing theory of olfaction, which is the lock and key theory. It did not tell us anything about how we could predict. We cannot predict anything. We cannot predict what a a material would smell like because it gives us just gospel-like analogies, things that you could believe but not test as explanations to olfaction. And I was with my team already promised the Navy we could do it. I've stunting, eyeballed them taking some monies from them, have uh, access to facilities, and um, could not really come up with a plan using the lock and key theory. So we started looking at alternative um, theories, you know, and um, I'm a, remember, but my, I started off uh, with biochemistry, with enzymology, and um, I'm also... Are you basically at this point, are you looking for like a, you know, I've always been taught that there's a signature odor and one prominent odor that... No, we... A lot of people look for signature odors. It's By job, it's nice to look for signature odors, but it's quite complicated to look for odors for something that you don't know the limits of its own sensitivity. I mean, the nodes is a sensor, and there'll be a range of high and low within sensitivities, and nobody knew that. I mean, we know that the, the ears... Um, it, it's a it's a receiver that receives in the Hertz region, and we know that the eyes are receivers that receive in the visible region, which is in the nanometer region. However, for the nose, is a theory that has to do with locks and keys, you know, and nobody bothered to see. Okay, which region does the nose really smell? So you so you started not at the at the target odor, but you started at the dog's nose to try and figure out. Yeah. Okay. So to, then, to figure out what their levels of sensitivities are, because once we know what the levels of sensitivities are, then we will know what matters out of what the energy we get out of the material itself. So so once you were able to kind of start quantifying that, then did you go to you start looking at the the target odors themselves in some, in some yes. manner? Once we knew what the nose was, then we started looking at the materials themselves because we know what part of the material is of use to the nose, which one the nose receives as a sensor. So what, what was what was the first group of materials that you looked at for training aids? Uh, well, what the Navy wanted. And um, it, that was the MN-01 kit. So I uh, got the MN-01 kit, and the, I think it was five components that was on. Um, Within that kit at that time, five or seven. So was that like standard standard bomb detection ones, like say C four? Yeah, TNT, C four, yeah. um, smokeless powder, um, dynamite, the good old um, nitro dynamite. 
So on each each one of those odors, then you had to go down, and now now you knew you were, had a better idea what the dog was doing. So then you took each odor and you broke it down to find. Were you looking for like one common odor or the signature odor or the strongest odor, or how did how did that process uh, work? Well, we're still the only ones in the world that do what we do based on what we believe odor is. And the point is, we believe the nose itself is a sensor, and we believe that we've narrowed down the range in which it senses, which would be in the terahertz region. And because we've been able to narrow down this region, we've been able, we've narrowed down this region. And now, knowing the regime and knowing the kind of energy value that you can get from that regime, we've, we've narrowed the knowledge base down to the understanding that if you can duplicate that spectrum that you are getting, any material that you come up with, with that duplication would, would smell the same as the one that you're trying to duplicate. So if I understand this right, and we've never, you and I have never talked about this on this deep of a level, if I understand this right, then you weren't looking really just for one single target order. You were looking for what the dog was hitting. So, I mean, in a real stupid analogy, um, which I need because I'm not not your scientist kind of guy, but if it you're you're basically were you were you seeing that the dogs were not smelling the ingredients of the apple pie, but they were smelling the whole apple pie, so you were able to kind of get one group of odors that that would tri- trip the dog's trigger a certain way. Yes, that triggers them because actually it doesn't really matter what we smell. It's not what we smell that makes us make a decision. It's the perception of what we smell. So, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's the brain that makes the final decision that this is what it is, based on the numbers of sensors firing. So, at that time, you were you were looking, you had the dog that you were the dog or dogs that you were using their nose on, and then you were developing products, and you were, I imagine, quantifying their response based on the the products. Yeah, we were developing we were developing these products by duplicating the wavelengths of this of 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 of, of this um, in um, hazardous materials, and then seeing what the dogs felt about the duplication. And on those first iterations of of the products, how many did you, was that? What was the time frame on that? Did it take a long time to to really get? down to where you wanted, you know, where you were getting the success with the dogs and the consistent reliability? For the MN01 kit, it took it took three years um, to get the elements of the MN01 kit, 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 um, kit saw it because um, this was first a hypothesis. And um, the hypothesis had to be tested initially. Um to become a strong hypothesis. But for it to become a theory, it had to be validated. And that's when I realized that a scientist is only a scientist can only do as much as a scientist can do. And if he's a smart scientist, knowing that he's dealing with Mother Nature, now he really has to hand over the knowledge to those that can run with it and test it and pull it and twist it and try it. And those are the practitioners. So basically you, you were developing product and then the, was the military taking it out 
field testing it with dogs they were training and, and telling you here's the results we're getting. That's right. So uh, based on our interactions with them and feedbacks, we were able to and um, were able to know that we developed a great product, fantastic product, and then um, also based on 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 a longer term use, we were able to ascertain that the dogs had actually developed proficiencies that they realized were not were not typical. You know, like um. Training the dog, I mean, we had problems with the dogs we had back home. When we go downrange, we realized that um, a lot of our dogs, they act sloppy. They they don't hit the right targets. They have problems in making decisions that they result in false calls, you know, by the handlers. Because, um, and we had reasons, we, we had we had excuses for that. Oh, you know, the manufacturing processes are different, you know, so, you know, it's an explosive made in Russia, so it would be difficult for our dogs to alert and stuff like that. And and was taken as a standard excuse, reason for why it seems to happen. But then when they started training dogs on St. Logic, they started realizing that these problems never happened anymore. And that's because they had the base whatever we're going to call it, the base odor, the, the commonality of, across the spectrum, regardless of the brand or where it was, it was. Regardless of brand, regardless of manufacturing, um, the, the patented manufacturing um, the proprietary processes that each company might have, uh, depending on, on the manufacturing based on the limits of raw materials that they have that might require they use a different manufacturing procedure you know and um sometimes also even if they are the same depends on the outer packaging yeah you know and a lot of processes have made us take it for granted that it is usual and there's nothing wrong you know straining a dog in the united states and taking the dog to like colombia or india you know or, or, you know, on, and then the dog missing their hide. And then we take it, oh, well, you know, it's a, it's a Colombian and the manufacturing process is different. Oh, yeah. We took that for granted and it was, it was, it was institutionalized as being normal. However, when Logics came out, we realized that a Logic strain dog didn't have that problem. So now... Um, you know, if you fast forward, do you have any idea how many dogs have been trained on your different products and, and have you done further studies, you know, later on just to, to show here's, here's what it is. Cause if I'm understanding it, once you got the, the process down for, here's how the nose works, how, how you believe the nose works and here's how we believe the odor is, then it was just a matter of, of looking at every odor and, and doing the, the mechanics on that end to mimic it. So it wasn't like restarting each time you, each time you come up with an odor, you already have the formula as how you're going to be able to formulate that, that pseudo odor. Is that basically? Well, every, well, well, I mean, we've been in business now for over a decade, Jeff. So right now, yes, we've gotten it down to a point where we have initial methods. We have computational methods that we use in house that would allow us to predict at least an 80% accuracy what the scent signature of any material would be. 
so it's it's easy for us now to 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 do this so here's one of my questions from i've used your products here is is um is are we able to quantify like if i put out um a stick of c4 you know i know it's a i guess it's a pound and a quarter stick of c4 then how much of Ascent Logics equals the same amount, you know, am I going to get the same reaction or if I put out the whole bag of the, that, is it going to be 30 sticks of C4 the same or, you know, how do I, how do I know where the thresholds are on the dogs that I'm training if I, if I'm only using your product? That's a good question. And um, that is also a difficult question to answer because um, we're dealing with odor. And we're not dealing with with materials, I said. And um, that is one of the fundamental um, ways that we think too within our community. Because when we are talking about pseudo versus real, and why I say that is that we, for some reason, we think that the material itself is our training. Yeah, obviously yeah. it's the odor. Yeah. Yeah, it is the odor. A dog does not find TNT. A dog does not find cocaine. A dog finds the source of TNT odor and the source of cocaine odor. One thing we've been successfully able to do within me and my staff at Zen Logics is that we don't think of much. We have dissociated our eyes from our noses because we we realize that we make a lot of eye-based decisions for the nose. That's a good, I mean, yeah, we see that with training handlers too. So. Yeah, and, and so imagine, imagine the two teams, East Coast, West Coast, and now we have pseudo versus real. I mean, what the heck are we talking about? What is pseudo and what is real? You know, when at the these these are just materials that are supposed to be generating odor. Yeah, and I guess I guess the the people have the reservations because then they say, well, what odor? How do I know that the odor of your product is the same as the odor of my real training aid? So, well, then that that, that would be a better thing to argue and a better thing to probably look at rather than actually looking at the material and, and and instantly assuming that because your material is an operational material that it makes it a valid and training aid. You know, I mean, you could imagine, I, um, I, uh, you come to my home and you like my carpet. And you, oh, David, I like your carpet. Oh, Jeffy, yeah, it's a great carpet. I bought it 15 years ago in Tibet, da, 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 da. And then you go and then you get the same carpet. Now, of course, you have the same carpet as I do, the same material. But does it smell the same? Hell no. It smells different. You know, you know, I, I, I buy a car that's just like yours, mine is new. I got no, I got a car like Jeff, but it doesn't smell the same. Sure. Yeah, the environment so and the we, store. We don't we don't grade materials on what we need them most out of. We just take it for granted that they have them. And that's not the case. Because there are two kinds of materials, live or dead. 
a material could be dead. What do I mean by that? It generates zero odor. And and that can happen with both pseudo and a real training aid where they've just degraded to the point where yeah, where where the surface is oxidized because odor only comes from the surface. Odor doesn't come from inside. If the except if the material is porous, odor is only a surface property. And because odor is a surface property, weight does not matter. So, so getting back to my question, have you been able to quantify that then to to show? I mean, because I know like like a, yeah, that's you know, thresholds. Because odor is a surface property, uh-huh. weight does not matter. It's so, the surface area of so the material. So if I spread your product out, it's going to mimic having a larger, a larger amount yeah. of, of... So, brother, what I'm saying is that even within our training records, weight is a measuring unit that is not supposed to be there. That's what I'm saying, brother. Surface area is the measuring unit that should be within our training record. And the mere fact that weight is there tells me that we have a major representation of what we know as real. Well, sorry for the quick ending on that, but we had a little bit of technical difficulties. Anyway, I wanted to bring David on, and as I mentioned in the show, this isn't a endorsement of his products in particular, but it is just to give you an idea of what goes into these products, whether it's his brand or another brand, and that they are well-researched and that there is a viable reason to uh, consider using them. So hope you enjoyed this show, and uh, I want to thank Dr. David for taking time out of his uh, crazy busy schedule. And I will be in touch with him soon to answer any follow-up questions that you might have. So if you have any questions, you can always reach me at jeff at hitsk9.net. Be safe out there. Thank you very much.